My name's Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. That is a joy for me. Many of the Sundays in a given year, I get to preach. Um, other Sundays, I get to just listen. But um, it's a joy to be with you in whatever capacities that I'm able. It's great to be together. I love just sitting around on a Sunday morning and just hearing even just one of you just tell me a story about something that's going on or something happening in your life. Really is a blast for me. So. <clears throat> If you're newish to Genesis, again, I say you're coming at a good time because we're in this other, this next part of the Gospel of John series, and now we're in the Upper Room Discourse, chapters 13 through 17, and so we're getting Jesus talking to his disciples at the, in his final moments, and, and this is one that's a pretty serious passage, but also when you think about what we're called into, it is a little comical, because I mean, I just think about, like imagine for a second that you are anywhere. You were, uh, you're with your family or with your friends, and somebody goes, I'm not sure, but you know, I think my appendix is about to rupture. And you go, great, I'm ready for that. Now, like, unless you are a surgeon, you probably don't know the next step, except Let's get you into some place where we can take care of that. But you can't take care of it. Let's just imagine you can't take care of it at all. And they're like, no, 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 it's on you to save your friend's life. Like, that's it. Like, you could FaceTime with a doctor maybe. I don't know how it would work. Like, oh, yeah, sure, just like knock them unconscious, cut right here, remove this thing, wear gloves if you have them. Like, all, you know, I just don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, like, I, I, I praise the Lord, I don't think a single human in this room has experienced something like that. But we have experienced being out of our depths. <laughs> We're like, oh, gosh, <clears throat> there is no way know how, I have no capacity, no ability, no enduring way to make this thing work. Now, sometimes that, that, that really is, is unfair. We're kind of just playing too small, meaning, meaning we don't recognize what God has put in us or how we're gifted or something like that. But there are many times where we really are out of our depths. Like the things, I mean, think about what the God has called a Christian into and, and what he asks of us. It could be just in, in our living Right? Holy living, to, to live, H-O-L-Y, like, like to live in a way that is honoring to him and reflects him. That's, that's a tall order, to serve in a way that is honoring to him or reflects him, to share him with our family or friends, coworkers, neighbors, people in our lives in a way that presents him as beautiful and desirable and saving. That's a tall order. I mean, honestly, surgery sounds easier. Surgery sounds easier than to, to do those kinds of things. To go, oh yeah, let me go ahead and just set it up for you and tell you, tell you everything about it. I mean, I, when I talk to people who maybe have shared Christ with somebody or they've had a conversation, it often, I mean, you know, sometimes they're really proud of themselves, but very often it's like, man, I should have said this or I should have said that. I can't believe I forgot to say this. I was so caught up in the moment that I wasn't sure what to say next. And I, and I, and I, and I just kind of, I just hit play and I just started blabbering and I missed everything that was on their mind or everything that was on their heart. I just had, I didn't do it, right? Swing and a miss. I had no, no strength there. Or you, maybe on a Sunday, you, you, you come in, you listen to a sermon, or you're listening to podcasts throughout the week, and you just go, golly, who are these people, that, not me, other sermons, other podcasts, uh, who are these people that seem to be living for God so freely and so openly and so joyfully and so gladly and so hopefully? Who are these people? Are they even real or are they faking it? 
They're faking it, right? That's, that's, that's how I make myself feel better. But no, you just go like, are they, can you be this connected to God? Can you be this this, this, this upright with him? Can you walk like this? Now, you might have experiences in churches where you go, no, clearly there are some people who are faking it. That is true. But you probably have people that, you, that come to your mind, even right now, where you go, man, they're, they're I won't even say their knowledge of God. That's the, that's the wrong word. Uh, their love for God seems to be so rich, so deep, so strong, so enduring. How, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I, how do I, what seems to be effortlessly, share him with people? How do I, how do I suffer like that? How do I go through situations that I didn't expect? How do I handle that? that I, I don't know how to, how to do that. It just seems different. Well... In a passage like this, something that we'll even read more of next week, we get to see Jesus teach his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't teach everything about the Holy Spirit, but he's going to teach us some fundamental truths about the Holy Spirit. Things that get us comfortable in understanding what the Spirit does? How does the Spirit work in the life of a Christian? Uh, I put it this way. How does the Spirit help us to know God and live for God? How does the Spirit help us to know God and live for God? We talked even last week about those fundamental kind of questions that we, we get at, which is like, how do I know who God is. We say, well, Jesus is the way to God. And how do I understand who God is? Well, Jesus is how we understand God. And, and, and how, how, do I, how do I live for him? Well, Jesus gives us the provision needed. He gives us what we need to do that. It comes in our prayers to him that, you know, asking the Father, anything in my name, and I will give it to you. As we're walking with him, we see these. Well, now we get to kind of take it it's the same idea, but we get to fill out some of those gaps. Go, well, how does that actually work? How does that work? How, do, how, does, how does all that happen? And we're going to realize that, that the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, this is the one that's harder for us. I think most of our church experiences, if we have them, and I'm not, I don't assume everyone here has them, but if we've had a church experience, I, I think most of our churches view the Holy Spirit as like, this, this resource that just allows us to do whatever we want uh, really spectacularly, like that's over there, and, and many people are like, I don't think it's that, and so rather than that, they kind of like, and others treat like the Spirit is like in this box, and we're like, we don't know what to do with Father we get, Son we get, Spirit we don't know really what to do with, and it feels like most of our churches live in between, like, like, like that, or experiences, it's like either Either that, it either seems out of bounds over here, or well, I don't even think this church is recognized that the Spirit exists. Um, and that's where we often are. That's what, sometimes what we see. So I think what we get from Jesus today is that instruction on like, sober-minded, easy comprehension of what the Spirit of God does for God's people. We're going to get at that through questions and answers. So I'll... My questions will kind of be my points, and the answer comes. I'll give them all to you as we go. But we're going to start with this first part that you saw right there in verse 15. John 14, 15 through 31 is our passage. It finishes out chapter 
14 for us, then we begin on abiding next week, and all of these begin just that instruction on how do we walk with God, how do we live for God, how do we relate to one another, how do we relate to the world. All of these are coming over the next few weeks in this series. But the first question that we might ask is, how do we show our love for God? How do we show our love for God? How does a Christian demonstrate, demonstrate love? Um, you might be familiar with, if you're not, that's okay. If you are, that's okay too. Uh, but the, like the five love languages. And we're like, oh, are you an acts of service person? Are you a gifts person? Are you a words of affirmation person? I think there's others. I don't remember them. Those are like the three that I remember. Uh, so I can only speak love to 60% of you, but that's okay. So we have kind of all these ways, but like the, the really... I'll put it this way for, for our minds. But like the, God's love language is obedience. How do we show our love for God? We show our love for God through obedience, which sounds weird because it makes it sound like God is uh, a taskmaster, but he's not. There's a reason for that. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's, that's what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, how, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, first, you can look at many things Jesus has spoken. You can see his instruction. It's kind of there, plain and simple, clear as day. You go, let's read what he says. Let's read what's in his word. Let's understand his heart. Because this is, this is a way that, that helps me think about the scriptures. That the scriptures are not just a body of knowledge that we need to become experts in. Because there are plenty of people, including religious teachers of the day, who were experts in the, in the words themselves. But they were not experts in the God of that word. They didn't actually live for that God. They just lived for the mechanistic understanding and living out of what was there. And so it was merely obedience from out of responsibility, not obedience out of love. And there's a difference between these two. I'm going to use this illustration a few times probably over the, next, over the coming weeks. But I think about my own children. And they're a bit of a handful sometimes, but generally they're all right. You guys would be happy to have them in your home most of the time. But they're great kids. And I talk about the relationship between, between the rules we have in our house, the ways in which we want to operate, and the benefit that that is for them. That I am not a dad who wants to give unnecessary rules, that I'm not a dad who wants to give unnecessary commandments or ways of responding, and, and really the, the biggest demonstration of trust and confidence that my children can have in me is to take me at my word. Now, apply that for a moment to the scriptures, and what we see in the scriptures is really God's better way for us to operate as citizens of his kingdom in this world. That it really is best for us. It really is best for us if we live as God would have us live. That that is the better way of living. And if we really do trust that God's way is the better way, then we would obey what he says. Now, to, to bring that from that kind of mechanistic going, well, it says do this, so I better do that, that can really just get into pharisaical, law-abiding, rule-following for God's pleasure kind of living, we still have to remember the message that we're called into, that God initiates this relationship with us, that we are drawn by him and held by him and sustained by him. 
So this isn't obedience for relationship keeping. If we, if we screw this up, it's going to break something and we're going to have to start all over. No, this is obedience because really we have entrusted ourselves to God the Father and we know that his ways are best. It is a demonstration of confidence in his character, love for him to live in the way that he would have us to live, to operate in the way that he would have us to operate, which starts for the Christian with embracing that gospel of grace. That, that we, if that's what gets us started on this journey with God, then a way of law-abiding doesn't keep us there. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. You know, did you start this thing with works of the law or with grace? How did you begin? Because we begin, continue, and end with him, all sustained in the same way, which is by his grace. And so we have to, we have to take Jesus' words here as absolutely true, but also recognize that it comes within the framework of that gospel of grace, which we get to embrace and have. So it is not, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, and anytime you screw up, you're out. Which is sometimes how we can live, especially if we grew up in really legalistic households. And I have them. I have friends who still, they grew up in legalistic homes or legalistic church cultures. And they're like, I know it's not true, but I will still feel guilty if I don't whatever. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Karen's on it. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, we get it. I, like, I'll still feel guilty if I don't, or if I go to a church that doesn't have Sunday school. Because I just don't like... You just go to Sunday school, and then you go to your worship service, and you go to church on Wednesday night, and you go to church on Sunday night, and I don't know how to not do that. Uh, there are certain visitation days that you have to do, and, and I remember hearing one of my friends, and she would go, I know, I know that that's not true, but even decades later, it's hard for me to shake the feeling of disappointing God, of getting it wrong, of, of not really operating in the way that he would have me ought. Why? Because the system taught a way that was grace adjacent, but grace adjacent isn't grace, right? Like it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a skew. And so it's teaching us something else. So if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. For the Christian, that should be a joyful statement. It shouldn't be a terrifying statement. It should be a joyful statement because, because God hides nothing from us that is our good. It's not like he's, there's some door over there and he hopes that we don't go through it. And if we go through it, like we're really going to enjoy life. But until then, like he just keeps it boarded up, hoping we can't find it. No, that started, remember, in the garden. You can have anything you want. Just don't eat from this tree. He didn't even hide the door that they were not supposed to go through. And they're like, ah, I think I want to go through that door. I think I want that. I'm not sure your words are trustworthy. I'm not sure that what you said and what you commanded is right. And so it didn't end well. The lie of the serpent was, did God really say? No, no, no. If you do that, you'll be like God. It's hard for us to really confidently embrace the fact that God is not holding out on us. But he's not. Which is why Jesus can say, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Because he's hiding nothing. He's holding back nothing. All of him is at our disposal. And we see that in the coming verses. Really, how does God then help us to obey? Because if we just look at, you got to get it done, we might lean into legalism. But if God then provides the way, then it's certainly not legalistic at all. 
It's not actually in our power. It's not in our ability. It's not in our own strength. And that's right what Jesus moves into after laying down, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper or advocate or counselor or comforter. or, or like I will give you another person, another helper, that's what the ESV says, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's looking forward to the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost. He dwells with you. The Spirit is ministering even now amongst the disciples, but the Spirit will reside within the disciples. That's going to be a benefit of Jesus' ascension. It's to your benefit that I leave, because if I don't leave... The helper will not come. It almost seems unfair, and I mean this in a worldly sense. It almost seems unfair, and the reason I say it almost seems unfair is because Jesus gives us a statement. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Yes, of course. Of course I want to obey your commandments. And then he says, and I'll give you the way to do that. I'll give you the way to obey my commandments. I'll give you the way to follow life as... You should. I'll give you the capacity, the empowerment, the strength, the enablement to do what I have commanded. So remember, if we are saved by grace, we are sustained by grace, and God's gift of the Holy Spirit to the Christian is that grace given to us to do what he has asked us to do. Right? That, that all of our teaching really should square with that. So it's not as if, as we say before, it's not as if, well, God saves me and I keep me by just staying really serious about my faith, being really sure I do a lot of good things, because in the instance that maybe I'm wrong and I'm not saved by grace, I want to have enough good things on my side. That's not how it works. We have to actually stay in the stream that got us there. We don't change the game plan or the playbook mid-game. And so the Spirit is given, and the Spirit is given to us as a helper or a guide or an aid. And this is what we see. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive it. Why? Because the world doesn't embrace the things of God. And so he says, for his disciples, the Spirit exists for our benefit, so that we are able to keep those commands, to follow as God would have us follow, to obey as God would have us obey. And so wait a minute, you're telling me that you're not only going to call me into something, but you're going to give me the way that I can live it out? That is God's heart for his children. This is the promise of the new covenant. If you're back with us in 2019, we were doing that memory work in Ezekiel where God's people's inability to live in God's ways, the nation would not do it. The shepherds would not keep it. And God goes, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. He puts his spirit within us that then makes us or causes us to follow his statutes and observe his ordinances. That the Spirit is that new covenant promise given to followers of Jesus that enables them to live for him, enables them to obey him, enables us 
to give wholehearted, true love to God through how we respond to him, how we engage with him. So how do we show our love for God through obedience? But how does God actually help us or enable us to obey? Through the Spirit, the Spirit that is sent. Now, I'm going to go a little longer here. How does this benefit us? How does this benefit us? If you're like me, and I'm a little bit of a skeptic at times, where I go, well, yeah, but still, right, great, I obey God, I have his, but why does that even matter? Why does, that even, why does it even matter that I obey God? I think many people in our world would ask the same question. Why does it matter that I obey God? Why is that important? Go, oh, well, there's no one more important than God. Okay, prove it. Like, we can kind of get circular with that. So let's let Jesus explain to us why this even matters. How do we show our love? Obedience. How does God enable that? Through the Spirit. Why does obedience, you could say obedience empowered by the Spirit, but why does that matter then? And we're going to get a pretty cool answer, which is that this is how we actually are able to experience Christ's love toward us. This is how we're able to experience, abide in, walk in Christ's love towards us, and we even speak of the Father's love and presence with us. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I think that actually refers to his resurrection and his appearance with the disciples. I will be with you. I'm not going to be gone forever. And he does have a ministry 40 days after his resurrection with the disciples, teaching and instructing before his ascension. His ascension lasts, after his ascension, 10 days passes, and then Pentecost comes. So he doesn't leave his disciples at orphans. He does return to them and instruct them before the Spirit's arrival in the storyline. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I think all of that is referring to resurrection. When you see me, you will know. When you see me raised, you will know. When you see me resurrected, you will know. So the power of Christ demonstrated through resurrection and the life that is then given is a comfort to the disciples. It teaches them something more about God. Could this also mean the second coming of Jesus? Yes, it could. Some people go, well, they got to see it. And disciples now, that statement applies to us in the sense that Jesus is returning. He doesn't even leave his church as orphans. We have the spirit, but Jesus is coming back and we look to his return. We look to his words that are true, look forward to his return so that we can be with him. That for the disciples who are there in the room, he does not leave them as orphans. He comes back in his resurrections. For the disciples who are here in this room, Jesus is returning. He doesn't leave us. And that hope of his return and the new heaven and the new earth should motivate us, drive us, and instill us for the kind of hope that the world cannot replicate. So there's the resurrection. But then look at verse 21. If you've ever done navigators, like the navigator's memory work, usually John, uh, uh, here John 14, 21 is one of the first ones that you'll, you'll memorize. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That sounds a lot like 14, 15. 
you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But look at how Jesus continues there. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So you see how it is not just our love demonstrated to God, but our obedience is a way for us to experience God's love. So I'll give you the illustration. Back to my kids here for a second. Only time they listen to sermons is when I talk about them. <clears throat> Only time I listen to my sermons is when I talk about them. So it works. I'm kidding. So, here's what I mean. What does it mean that, that by obedience we show our love to God, but we also get to experience the love of the Father and Christ's presence? I will manifest myself to them. That sounds a little, I don't know, how do you do that? How does that actually change us? Well, let me give you an illustration. Let's say, for an example, in your home you have certain rules. You say, hey, this is really how I want you to live, and your children trust you with those rules, and they follow those rules, which doesn't happen all the time, does it? But when it does, it's pretty sweet. And the reason it's pretty sweet is because there's no other hindrance to the relationship in that moment. That when there is disobedience lack of attention, lack of responsibility, then very often there is discipline and the experience of love comes differently. It comes in the form of a disciplinarian, not in the form of a loving parent, even though that is a demonstration of being a loving parent. But when you're walking in the way God would have you walk, there's no hindrance to the fellowship that you can enjoy. There's no hindrance to the relationship that you can enjoy because you're doing what your heavenly Father has commanded. And so you get to enjoy the relationship free from sin, free from stress, free from worry if you're doing the right thing because you walk with it. Now, if you're familiar with John at all in his epistles, John is a big fan of the love of God. Big fan. Right? Like he'd upvote that on any Reddit thread. Like he wants you to know God's love is real. He wants your love for God to be real. And he wants you to know God loves you. But he also knows that there's sin because in, the, in the, his first letter, 1 John, he says, if anybody says they don't sin, they're a big fat liar. Right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. If you think you don't sin, you're a fool. So he's not trying to say, as we read this, only Christians obey perfectly all the time. He's going, no, 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 you're going to sin. What the follower does, though, the disciple does, is confess that sin. Understanding that God is faithful and just to forgive that sin and cleanse of unrighteousness and restore that right relationship. Because, I mean, think about it. If you know, again, know John's language. John's concern is for people to be walking rightly with God. He wants you to know the work of Jesus. He wants you to walk in the love of Jesus. He wants you to demonstrate the love of Jesus to this world. And so he's not, though, though there are going to be times where he goes, now, and, if, and if you're over here, confess. But he wants you walking with him. That's his heart as a leader in the church. That's his heart as an epistle writer. He even says in 2nd and 3rd John, I believe, both of them, if not one of them, I have no greater joy than when my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. Why? Because that is where you get to experience God's love. 
I, I, and put it this way. Let's, 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 just, like, let's try to bring it down into some kind of way that maybe, maybe I can comprehend because I'm a bit of a fool sometimes. But when you see something in the scriptures and you go, golly, maybe I should, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. And then you do it. I, I, I kid you not. Is it not a thrill? Now that sounds a little silly. Like it sounds, it might sound like I'm like a car salesman, but I'm really not. I'm really bad at selling cars. I promise. Never done it. Couldn't do it. I'm like, you don't need this car. But when you see something in the scripture, now one of my big things is like generosity, giving of your money, real life money. I'm like, well, we got to be generous with everything. I'm like, yeah, but money. Let's just go to money uh, because that is a snare. And when you see somebody in their faith go, okay, I see in scriptures I'm supposed to be generous. I don't even know how it's supposed to start. I'm not even sure what's going to happen. You know, like I've, I've budgeted out 102% of my income. And so to give up any of that percentage is going to be hard. I do not know a person who motivated by love for God when disciplining themselves to be more generous gets mad at God about it. Never. They never go, God, I'm so, I'm so mad that you want me to be more generous. It doesn't happen. What, what often happens, and I, I know this is anecdotal, but I bet it is your experience as well. What often happens is when people do go, okay, no, this is important. And they, and they make that move. They go, I'm just going to be more generous. Be more generous. They don't regret it. They're not embittered by it. And they often get to see God provide in new ways. Why? Because that takes faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And when a disciple, when she sees the Lord command something and wants to follow through in obedience, she experiences the love of God in a unique way. And can share in that kind of love in a unique way. It, it is similar to when your children obey you because they trust you. And you go, isn't, isn't this great? We don't have to worry about, about anything going on outside in this world. We don't have to worry about any hindrance. We don't have to worry about any snare. Right now, it's just us. And we can enjoy this relationship without consequence, without fear, without discipline, because we're walking together. A loving God does discipline, but obedience is so much better. Empowered by God's spirit. And, and, and what we are to obey is written for us. So we don't even have to guess we don't even have to guess what God would have us do. Now, very often, we're kind of, it's in those gray areas. We go, well, how much do I give? Or who, to whom should I be kind? Or who should I serve? Or all those kind of gray area decisions where the Bible doesn't say, you got to give this much, net or gross. Is it net or gross? I don't know. Like, do I, do I, do I like, what, what, 10% of net is not the same thing as 10% of gross. Like, like, all those things that we start to think about, not those. The scriptures don't give those kinds of answers, they don't give those kinds of answers. But what we get to experience as we keep those commandments, as we get to experience God's love for us, 
demonstrate our love for him and, and, and really experience Christ's presence as our Savior. As always, the disciples don't seem to be paying any attention to what Jesus is saying. And this happens all the time in the upper room discourse. I mean, even when he's washing their feet and he talks about how he's going to betray them and they're like, I don't, where's Judas going? Is he going to go buy food? Peter doesn't understand what washing feet means. Clean my whole body, Lord. Just clean my whole body. That's what we need. As always, they're missing it. What do you mean you're going to go we can't follow you? We have another missing it. Judas, not Iscariot. There are other, other ideas on who, who this disciple is. Is it Thaddeus? Who, like, sometimes the disciples' names are not always consistent from gospel to gospel. Um, just in the same way, Saul is also Paul. Saul doesn't become Paul. We think that. Saul also called Paul. Like, it's not like he had this moment and then he started being called Paul. He just went by both. Uh, sometimes there's a name change, Abram to Abraham. Uh, but sometimes there's just somebody with two names. So, Judas, not Iscariot. John's like, not that guy. He's gone. He doesn't ask a question about experience, like, what does it mean to obey? How do I obey? After all this instruction of the Spirit, what does Judas ask? How is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How does that happen? How do you actually show us one part and not the other? Well, Jesus answers that. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. He will come to him and make, and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. His point is, the, even back to John 1, and if you weren't with us in John 1, uh, the epilogue, we did that in December of last year. But John sets up, there are some to whom he came that did not believe. They did not receive him. But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were not born of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of the will of God. That's what we get. And we see that here. That not everybody sees and responds to the gospel message. Not everybody sees and responds to what God is doing. Why is that? Well, the reason for that is because the Spirit has a unique ministry in highlighting the words of Jesus. And at different times, some are responding and some are not. But it's the Spirit's activity. So remember our questions. How do we show our love for God? We show it through obedience. But how does God help us? He gives us the Spirit. Why is there even a benefit to obedience? Well, because it's how we experience God's love and presence through obedience. In a similar, not same, but in a similar way, that when your children walk in obedience to you, the relationship is unhindered. And if anybody's had an unruly child, and everybody has, then you know the tension that comes from unruly children, where you can't just enjoy the relationship because it's always about correction. But when the relationship is strong and it doesn't have to be about correction, it can actually be enjoyed can be enjoyed. So, what result? <clears throat> what result does the Spirit's presence provide for us? 
along with the ability to obey, there is something that we, we get that, that flows from this. And here's how I will put it. I will put it as the ability to rejoice. The ability to, to worship freely, gladly, to celebrate what God is doing. And the way I will do that as we look through this in verses 25 through 31, we will see what Jesus says. And as people who exist in this world after the sending of the Spirit, we have a greater understanding of what Jesus is saying here. John, as he's writing this, had a greater understanding of what Jesus was saying here because the disciples were missing something. So go with me. We're going to see a couple of things about the Spirit. He says, I'm speaking these things while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. And then look at this. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here is a no-doubter way to know if the Spirit is moving. Do you understand Jesus better? No-doubter. If you're understanding Jesus better, then the Spirit is at work. Because you look at verse 26, spoken by the Son, he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I've heard it this way, I've said this this way before, um, and this is not original to Hans. Please don't quote me on it, unless you just go, Hans quoted somebody and he doesn't remember who it was. But that the Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry. Meaning the Holy Spirit shines on the work of Jesus so that people can understand it better. Why would that make sense? Well, let's think about last week. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. Ask anything in his name and it will be given onto us. So as our understanding, comprehension, appreciation, knowledge of Jesus grows, our ability to live for God continues. And how does that happen? But through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, bringing to mind the truths of Jesus. And this is the greatest thing, is that, is that when you're reading in the Bible reading plan or when you're discussing in your discipleship group or in your community group or, or you just have a moment where you go, oh my gosh, I'd never seen that before. Like, praise God, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is doing something actively when we are better comprehending who Jesus is, when we're better understanding his words for us. That he, the Spirit, is at work in those moments, bringing to mind what Jesus has said. I remember a man, he died a few years back, five or six years ago, and he would use the illustration of a cup. We'll use this cup. It's full of coffee, but pretend it's not. And this is how he would talk about even scripture memory, okay? He would talk about scripture memory. This guy knew the Bible backwards and forwards. I hated it because he was so good at it. Uh, he'd be the guy, he'd be like, hey, when next time you come, you know, pick a verse you want to memorize and memorize it. Kenny, did you know Don? Donald Sab, did you know him? Yeah, yeah, this is Donald. <clears throat> so, so he would all, it's like five o'clock in the morning, you're at his house, you're super groggy, you're like, you know, 25, you're just like, I don't want to even be here right now. Uh, you're, you know, somebody else dragged you there out of guilt because you like, it's holy to get up and be in a Bible study at 5 a.m. So you go and you're having pancakes because this guy always cooks breakfast, kind of like you, John, always cooking breakfast. So we're having, we're having breakfast together and he holds this cup and he goes, this is why scripture memory helps He goes, never that I can recall, essentially, has the Holy Spirit brought to mind something I've never applied myself, my mind toward. Uh, Like, like I don't just have new verses downloaded into my brain. 
that have never been read, never been meditated upon, never been thought about. But what happens as, as I commit my, my mind and my heart and I meditate on God's word, what begins to happen is that in given situations, <clears throat> something that I might have thought about three years ago <laughs> comes to mind out of nowhere I'm able to then think about what that means in the moment and actually apply it differently. So he goes, so it's really not about hoping the Spirit's just going to bring to mind things randomly. He goes, I want the biggest cup that I can have that the Holy Spirit will draw from. I want to be, be able to have as much in my mind and in my heart of God's Word so that in the instance that I need something, God is able in that moment to bring it to mind. And I thought, man, you know, this is worth getting here at 5 o'clock. The pancakes were good, but that was better. And it's true. And you're probably like me. You're fumbling through your Bible memory all year, right? You see it, and you're like, oh, shoot. I committed to look at this verse every day, all week. And you get to D group, and you're like, I just listened to this verse on repeat on the Dwell app on the drive here, and I hope that I can get it out for group itself. Like, that's, that's basically what I did. Faith gets it. Like, that's like, like we're just trying here. <clears throat> I'm just, yeah, let's just, like, six days of nothing, one day of attention. Let's see if we can do it. And you go, all right, Lord, right? He made his grave. You know, you're trying to do all, like, Isaiah 53, 9. You're trying to knock it out, and you say it. But then at some other time, you'll be sitting there, and you feel like you just swung and missed on that. You're sitting there, and what happens? So he goes, where, where, where does it talk about Jesus being buried in a rich man's tomb? And all of a sudden, you're like, I think it's Isaiah 53, 9. You're like, what, in, what just happened? Right? It's like you got hit by a brick. You're like, I don't even know what, how that, where that even just came from. Why? Because the Spirit's not just role, but desire is to bring to mind, bring to our minds things of Jesus. That's the desire of the Spirit. To highlight, show off the Son. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so, unless our minds and hearts are filled with Jesus, then we'll miss how to obey him. The Spirit's longing for you, his longing for you to understand Jesus more is greater than your longing to understand Jesus more. And that Spirit is in you. So as I say, we avail ourselves to God's word. We avail ourselves to God's people because this helps bring to mind the truths that then ultimately allow us to follow and obey, which then really actually tangibly allow us to experience the uniqueness of God's love towards us in any moment. We can remember the truth that while we were still sinners, you know, that Christ died for us, that that's a demonstration of love. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. But if our hearts are not synced with the words of Jesus, the word of Jesus, then when we hear that, it's just, it's just a sentence. It moves along. And we don't delight in it. We don't hear it for what it means, for what it can mean, because we're like, yeah, 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 yeah I get it, I get it, I know that, I know that, I know that. I'm like, no, you don't know it. If it doesn't move you to worship, then you don't know it. You can just recall it. But if that is not a delight for God's people, then it's a missed opportunity to rejoice in God's word. So hold on. That's what the Spirit does. I'm running out of time. Ugh. Okay, we'll get there. We're getting there. Hold on. Give me a second. Whew. Look at verse 27 and 28. 
This is where I talk about rejoicing. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say, these are linked, 27, 28, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, or if it could also just be if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now that doesn't mean that the Father stands greater than Jesus, but <clears throat> if you loved me, if you understood what was going on, then you would know that the Son, the incarnate Son, is going back to his ultimate place of glory with his Father. If you understood why the Spirit needs to come, if you understood why that value is there, if you understood this, then you would not be troubled at my departure because I'm going to that place of greater glory and you will be given the Spirit so you can comprehend me even better. If you were thinking, you would have rejoiced. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe and he pivots. I'm not going to talk with you much longer. The rule of the world is coming, but he has no claim on me, which is another way of saying don't be afraid. Don't be afraid at his arrest. Don't be afraid at his crucifixion. Don't be afraid at his burial, because even though what feels like a victory for the ruler of the world clearly is not because he has no claim on God. And so in these last moments... When we misunderstand, when we misunderstand what Jesus has said, when we misunderstand what Jesus is doing, we can't actually rejoice. He has to correct them and go, if you knew what was going on, you'd be glad that I'm going to my Father. That's why Jesus says, it's to your benefit that I leave. If I don't leave, the helper doesn't come. You need the helper. This is what you need because you need to be able to live for me in my absence and God's actually coming to you and will be in you so that you can do what is required of you. So we rejoice in the provision as people who exist after the day of Pentecost, who through faith in Jesus have the Spirit indwelling them, sealing them, residing within them, not leaving them, will be with you forever, as the passage says. Will be with you forever. We have the Spirit of God residing within us. We should rejoice in prayer, asking the Spirit for greater understanding of God's Word. Lord, make your Word clear to me. Help me to understand what is here. We should rejoice in evangelism. And, and go, Lord, show the world how beautiful Jesus is. Convict them of their sin and their need for a Savior. Because I can't do that. That's the work of the Spirit. We get to rejoice in church life because as even we sit here and we comprehend more about the Lord, it is not... Hans's eloquence or ineloquence that is doing anything but the Spirit's activity that makes it comprehensible. And we rejoice that even in this moment, if there's something that you went, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Or, oh, it's so good to remember that. Yes, I need to pray about that. Anything that has moved you even a half of an inch 
closer to your better understanding of Jesus, better longings for Jesus, better desires for Jesus. Anything in this moment that has done that was not me, it wasn't your friend, it wasn't the donuts, it was the Spirit. Moving in a moment to fill your mind and your heart with more knowledge of the Son so you could better glorify the Son, worship the Son, live for the Son. And then even as we gather together on a day like today and worship, we can worship and rejoice because God has not left us alone. We gather together as people indwelt by God's spirit, but building, being built together as a body. And so it's interesting that that we are called a place where God's spirit resides, but then we are called a place where God's spirit resides. The language is both. Right? The Christians are indwelt people, but churches are indwelt places. Not the building, but the people who gather. That we're being built up into a temple where God resides by his spirit. That we rejoice even in that. Rejoice in the spirit that you have. Pray for the spirit's actions. And be grateful when your heart and your mind are filled with more of Jesus because It is no one's words, eloquence, or anything else, but just the work of the Spirit. So let's rejoice.